So what's the big problem with wealth creation? How do people like us, who didn't inherit a boatload of money, who are investing and building wealth from our own blood, sweat and tears, how do we invest in a way that gives us remarkable results and become financially free before retirement age? I don't know about you, but I am sick of hearing from wealth gurus and experts who don't walk their own talk and prescribe strategies that are a one-size-fits-all approach. For self-made people like you and me, I'm here to tell you that you don't need to be superhuman or already wealthy to reach financial freedom earlier than 65. This is the Alternative Investing Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today, the topic is a really around this, is it possible to avoid investment loss? I think it's really easy to look at other successful investors and believe that maybe they always get it right. Maybe they have some kind of Midas touch that they're on a winning streak. Um, but what I actually want to do today is I actually want to share with you a few stories on uh, why I don't think that's necessarily true and why trying to even avoid loss isn't actually necessary. So if I think about um, some of the clients I've worked with, even in the last five years, there's a few key themes that I want to kind of tease out as a bit of a preframe. Um, firstly, you know, we associate loss or many of us associate loss with stupidity. Um, you know, we think, oh, we should have seen the signs that, that maybe greed or error in judgment was the, was the root cause of that loss. And we like to tell ourselves, especially when we judge ourselves against the performance of others, that if we were careful enough, that maybe that loss might have been avoidable. Um, the perspective that I want to kind of put at the beginning of this particular podcast episode as a, as a lens, if you like, is that loss is very much in many circles the natural consequence of diversification and that those that we revere as exceptional investors still get it wrong some of the time. Um, and that loss in the context of many, many wins is a much better lens to kind of adopt and uh, use as a worldview when you're judging your own results. So I think the easiest way to kind of express some of these ideas is to really uh, share some stories um, that maybe you haven't heard of, but which really, I think, showcase some of these principles. So I want to tell you about a guy, a first guy, an, an art dealer by the names of Heinz Berggruen. I don't think he's with us anymore, but he fled Nazi Germany and went to the US to study uh, literature. And in 1940, while on a honeymoon, he actually bought his first piece of art. He went on to collect quite a vast personal collection of artworks. And in the year 2000, he actually sold that massive collection of art for about 100 million euros. The interesting part is that the German government, who kind of felt that they had a better handle on what that art collection was worth, described it as a bargain. Now, what was really interesting about this particular art collection is that it's believed that 90% of it, or 99% of it, in fact, was actually of very little value, but about 1% of it turned out to be ridiculously valuable. And people who um, heard that story, who read about that story, were completely shocked. And, you know, some people said, well, you know, how did he do that? Um, art is so subjective. Um, was it luck? Was it skill? Like, how did he do it? 
And, uh, you know, in actual fact, research into the world of um, art and art dealers uh, has been carried out extensively. And one particular firm um, called Horizon Research said that, you know, not only does it happen all the time in the art world, but it actually happens all the time in mainstream investing too. So art dealers think and behave like index funds. So they buy what they like. They buy what they believe in. They buy where they see potential. Um, And I guess what we hear about and what we see in the media is those that get it right. So a tiny fraction of what they buy may turn out to be super valuable Um, And the rest of it may end up just ending up on the scrap heap. But it is a bit of a mind bender to uh, consider the idea that as investors, which is effectively what an art dealer is, uh, that you can be wrong the majority of the time and still end up filthy rich. Um, We we understand and we, we see it happening with venture capital firms all the time. Venture capital firms expect that the money that they dish out to these startups will be, you know, wrong 80 plus percent of the time. They expect, uh, you know, a small fraction to do okay. And they expect a tiny percentage, like one to two percent to go insanely well. So we kind of look at that and we say, well, we, we do understand that, um, that, you know, in the investing world and in venture capital world, that's kind of the norm. Uh, But I guess where I kind of want to lead you to is that, you know, venture capitalists and art dealers, you could argue, are playing the probabilities. But, you know, as an outsider, we may look at that and we say, well, those odds are just too scary for the average investor. But I think what's really interesting is to look at something that we all take for granted as being super safe, which is that of index funds. We think it's diversified. We think, okay, well, if we go into an index fund, there's a little bit of money in a lot of things, so we're probably going to be doing okay. But, you know, if you look at the performance of individual shares or um, investments that make up something like an index fund, I think sometimes the stats can be a little scary. Um, One story in particular was an investigation done by JP Morgan Asset Management who published papers talking about the distribution of returns for an index called the Russell 3000, which is a broad collection of public companies that have been around since the early 80s. Now, what they actually suggested was that 40% of those companies actually lost 70% of their value over that, that time and just never recovered. Um, and that the overall uh, return of the index came from a tiny fraction of those companies, something like 7%, that just outperformed everything else by a country mile. So when you look at the overall performance of that index over time, um, it's increased by a multiple of about 70 And, you know, people call that a spectacular return and people call that success. But it's probably not too dissimilar to the ideas that we maybe think of and look at when we think of venture capitals and uh, capitalists and art dealers, and yet that doesn't seem palatable to us. Investing really has those same principles. Um, most financial advice um, that you go out and look for is about today. Like 
What should I do right now, given the current market environment? What looks most profitable right now? How can I create alpha? How can I outperform the norm today? But what we need to do is continuously remind ourselves that we're playing the long game. And we need to remind ourselves that it is possible that of all the investment decisions that we make, maybe only a small fraction of them will have a big impact on our end result. And right now, um, you know, if we look at what's happening in the world today, there are a lot of people who are investing from a place of FOMO or fear of missing out. There's a lot of froth. Um, people are tolerating inflated prices. Um, and what we need to do if we want to set ourselves apart is actually continue to keep a level head. An example of this uh, is investors that kept a level head during the global financial crisis that saw opportunities, probably created more wealth during that sort of seven-year, four to seven-year block of time than they did in the rest of their lives. So it's really important to understand that your success from this point forward could be massively more impactful than all the years of um, trying to do the right thing and, and, you know, run the standard playbook while you've done that on, on cruise control. You know, I guess where I want to kind of wrap this particular podcast up in terms of the lessons that I think you should glean are there are so many stories out there that tell us that even super successful um, investment winners, they get there not because every single decision they make results in a home run, but because they get a small fraction of um, the important decisions right. You know, I think we underestimate how normal it is to stuff it up. Um, and then the other side of it is we overreact when we when we make mistakes. I think, and what I have witnessed many, many times is that the emotional impact of loss for some people is just so overwhelming and they beat themselves up about it so badly that they never emotionally recover and then they never put themselves out there again. Their, their desire to stay safe and avoid loss cripples their capacity to make good investment decisions. Um, I also think that it's true that if you're only investing in traditional property, traditional shares, because it's so expensive, because you're not nimble enough in the way that you diversify and structure, I get that it's really hard to carry a lemon because they're such huge assets. But as we become more broader with our investing and we take on things like alternative investments where you can put small amounts of capital, you can be more nimble, your requirement to rely on a rising market is much smaller. Then we move past this idea that every single investment has to be that home run. Many of us are witnessing, and certainly in my world and, and my client base, that the returns that they are getting on a very small percentage of their capital that they've put into alternative investments are completely outperforming all of the results that they've had, maybe in a uh, broader cross-section of investments and um, maybe what people might describe as mainstream. Um, and, you know, even though they've done all the right things, a disproportionate amount of their passive income now comes from this other arena. I guess, yeah, in summary, nobody makes good decisions all of the time. If you're a really good investor, um, and if you talk to people who are really, in my mind, top of their game, they will argue that most years are just okay. 
Um, and then every now and then they'll have something that just, you know, where they'll have a massive result. And it's really normal that things will fail and not will always work out. I think the best example of, of this is, um, again, you know, I, I like uh, from a lot of levels what Warren Buffett sort of um, talks about and, and what he represents for a lot of people. But if you actually pull back the curtain and have a look, you know, over his life, he talks about having uh, invested in four to 500 different um, companies and businesses. But what's fascinating is he actually only made the bulk of his money on about 10 of them. And his business partner, Charlie Munger, you know, goes even further to say that if you took um, even a couple of those winners out of their portfolio, the Berkshire long-term track record is actually pretty average. So I, I think the big kind of finale that I want to kind of talk about is it, it's it's okay to make loss and I think we need to get past that and digest that a lot better than, than most of us actually do. But it's not so much about, you know, being right all the time or, you know, never getting it wrong. It's It's really about how much of the time you get it right and what sort of money you make versus how many times you get it wrong and, and the losses that you might suffer. So anyway, guys, um, I hope you found this really useful. I'd love you to get in touch if there's ideas or threads that you'd like to, to go deeper on. But in the meantime, take care of yourselves and remember that the, the journey around having a great relationship with money also requires us to digest the loss and the mistakes just as, and they're just as important, if not as, in, you know, more important than celebrating the wins. Take care. You've been listening to the Alternative Investing Podcast. If you're feeling frustrated that despite doing everything right in the property investing playbook and you're no closer to financial freedom, then head on over to incosiwealth.com to learn more about how you can use alternative investments to catapult your investing income and blend strategies to shave decades off your timeline to financial freedom. See you on the next episode.